Hello and welcome to Pep Talk, the persuasive evangelism podcast. My name is Christy Mayer and I'm joined by my co-host Andy Bannister. Hey Andy. Hey Christy, it's great to be uh, with you here at Oak Hill College uh, this morning. Who have we got on the show? I know, it's an illustrious place. We are joined by Dan Strange, the college director here at Oak Hill. He lectures in culture and worldview. He's written multiple books really, co-authored a few more. And this morning we're going to chat about his latest book, Plugged In. Dan, hello, welcome to the Hi show. Hi great to see you. Uh, it's great to have you on the show, Dan. Thanks for joining us. Dan, we'd love to chat with you about Plugged In, connecting your faith with what you watch, read and play. I loved reading this book and one of the things that you bring out is this idea of connection and confrontation. Can you explain to us what does that actually mean? Yeah, so I, th- I think my... Um it was recognising that I think our response to the culture or the world around us, often as churches, we can either kind of look in, go into a holy huddle, or we can lash out, or we can just look like everyone else. And uh, uh, it's trying to, in, in the book, it's trying to say, how does the gospel both confront and connect with every way of uh, viewing uh, the world? Um, the, in the book, I, I root it in a passage in 1 Corinthians where uh, Paul says we preach Christ crucified and it's the recognition that uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a big big fat no to the world's way of doing things, the world's wisdom, it's foolishness and that's very clear. Uh, But on the other hand, Paul um, doesn't just say we preach Christ crucified into a vacuum. In that passage, he talks about two groups of people, uh, Jews and Greeks, and both of those different ethnic groups are looking for different things. They have different worldviews or different narratives, I suppose. Uh, Jews look for power, Greeks look for wisdom. And so Paul isn't afraid to say that, yes, we preach Christ crucified in a way that confronts those ways of viewing the world. But he also, at the end of the passage, says that Jesus is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So there's both confrontation and connection. And I suppose uh, I see some Christians who are great at the confrontation, but they don't really know how to connect. And others who are great at the connection, but they don't realise the confrontation. And I think from passages like uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, and then the great example in Acts 17, um, where we see both of those things at, at the same time. So that's where the confrontation and connection both at the same time. And the book is trying to just say, how do we do that? Looking at the world around us and uh, uh, living the lives that we live. Hmm. That's utterly brilliant. Just picking up on what you just said about some of us might be good at the conf- at the connection, but not the confrontation. I'm just thinking about some of my friends who like love watching Love Island or like The Only Way is Essex, and they'll do that to such a point where they'll be with their friends chatting about the different things that are coming up in the relationships and and in the love languages, but they aren't really able to be that distinct in those conversations. So there's almost like an an over assimilation and over connection that yeah. goes on with the culture with these cultural artifacts how would you um what kind of wisdom what kind of advice would you give for those of us who would be more on the let's connect to the point of losing distinction rather than yeah cutting it off well I mean, at, the, at the end of the book of one john john says doesn't he you know uh, beloved um, keep yourselves from idols and i think idolatry is a really helpful uh tool it's not a kind of we think it's a kind of a um a very blunt tool and it's only you know it's archaic language but actually uh, idolatry is a very kind of scalpel like tool for analyzing the world and uh, idols are good things that have been made into god things and as we suppress the truth in our sin uh, we we substitute God for all kinds of of other things, and the book is trying to say that if if Jesus Christ is not the um, the foundation through which we view the the whole world, then we replace that with other things. So, in answer to your question, I think if you take something like Acts seventeen, where people uh, have rightly said Paul does a lot of work, he does a lot of work uh, understanding where the the Athenian culture is coming from, he makes connections.
connections all the time. But what are the bookends of that passage? Paul gets to Athens and it says he was greatly distressed by the idolatry. Mm. Literally, it's a city submerged in idolatry. And he has this kind of paroxysm, this kind of almost violent revulsion as to the idolatry. Not because he, he hates the Athenians, because he goes out and does what he always does. He, he doesn't say, stuff it, I'm off, I'm going to leave these people stewing. He actually wants to engage with them. So you've got that at the, at the one bookend. And at the other bookend of that act passage, you've got the call to repentance. So for me, we yes, we need to connect. We need to understand where people are coming from. We need to do that really fine grain work and not be glib or not be superficial. But the bookends of that very famous passage of engagement are idolatry and repentance. And I think that does give us some tram lines, which recognises, it says in 1 Thessalonians, people who have turned from idols to the living God. Mm. And I think that does put, does give the seriousness of if, if we're not following Christ, then we are, or, or we're not being formed by Christ, we are being deformed by other things. Mm. And so that big thing about there's no new, neutrality, uh, mm. I think that kind of is a bit of a wake up call um, to, to think that how could we ever um, uh, assimilate or not be countercultural because the gospel always confronts and it connects. Yeah. I mean, I love that, that, uh, that, that framework, Dan. And just to come back to the idea of confrontation and connection, you know, as you were describing that, I was wondering, you know, for a lot of Christians, I think in the workplace, perhaps listening to this, who Monday to Friday are out there in, in culture struggling to kind of relate to their non-Christian friends around them. I wonder if both those temptations to both the confrontation and to uh, to overly connect are driven by fear. There's a kind of fear of, you know, cultures going looking more and more less Christian. And so Christians, I think, can get sort of fearful and want to lash out. But then at the same time, there's there's, there's fear of, you know, being disliked by your friends at work. And so you overconnect. I wonder if fear is one of the, the animating issues behind both those tendencies. Yeah. And, and I think it's... Um... Um, the, the issue is not, uh, I suppose, it's where where fear is placed, and I think there's a, a godly fear that we are to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was I'm preaching last night on uh, uh, how in uh, Isaiah um, 41, we, we're you know we're called God's people are called not to be uh, afraid, and then just re- relating that to the disciples in the boat when Jesus calms the, the storm, and it says the disciples were terrified. And I think there's a a, a godly fear that we have about wanting to speak for Jesus everywhere and if we have that righteous fear uh, then actually it doesn't really matter what other people think of us it's what are we doing for um, God's glory and again going back to that that Paul illustration in Acts 17 he's kind of uh, provoked because he knows that God is provoked he's so zealous for God's glory and loves God and wants to kind of honour him uh, that I think that that can then if we have that kind of framework um, then I don't I think we are we will be less ashamed um it's funny, I mean, you know, as kind of professional evangelist apologists, that um, you can learn all the tools mm. and learn all the skills. But at the end of the day, what does drive a lot of people not to speak about Jesus is not because they haven't been trained properly. It's because mm. they, 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 are, they are afraid of what's going to be said uh, to them or how people are going to view them. Mm. And I think, you know, but that's why I think we need the encouragement of other Christians that we're not doing this alone. And that even little things like, you know, you know we know that we're being prayed for Mm. when we go and have those workplace conversations. I I think that's crucial. Mm. And your book provides such a helpful kind of toolkit as to how to best go about confronting and connecting culture. Could you just talk us through that? How do we connect and confront with culture? So we've got the the kind of big theological framework in place. What are some of the practical ways in which we can channel this this fear knowing that we're relying on the spirit in in evangelism and other people praying but how do we actually go about i think it's a it's a recognition that all human beings if they are human they're made in god's image 
and how and we know that they are religious beings. The Bible gives us the eyes through which we see mm. the world. And yes, there's lots of complicated and complexities we could talk about. What what does it mean to live in a secular society? And I you know I don't deny that we live in a secular society, but I also believe we don't necessarily live in a disenchanted society. We live in a very re-enchanted society with all other things. And this, some of the work that I've been uh, doing recently is recognizing. And you we, we will know that for all of your you know. Um, uh, Stephen Fry's or Dawkins or Hitchens, most people are not like that. There's just been a huge study done on the nature of unbelief and the recognition that many people have all kinds of belief in all kinds of things because that's, and we know as Christians, that's because we're human. We can, ne- we find it very difficult to say, as John Lennon said, above us is only sky. Mm. We have this mm. search for the transcendence. Now, again, in the Acts 17 passage, when Paul says, you know, people are groping around for the truth. But what we're wanting to do and what I'm wanting to pe- people to do is to say, how does how do we connect Jesus with those the fact that people do know God? They're running to God and running away from God at the same time. It comes out in all kinds of weird and uh, weird places and it comes in out in everyday places as well. I mean, one example I've been uh, thinking about, I've done a little bit of work on this is um, uh, the, the, the Tottenham manager, Mauricio Pochettino. So he's the manager of a huge like multi-million dollar club at Tottenham. You think of the science and the business that goes into that. In his office, he has a bowl of lemons because when people comes in, he believes the negative energy goes into the lemons and he changes the lemons every four days. And we're told that we live in a kind of a disenchanted secular society. And this stuff's everywhere. The, you know, the, 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 the rise of um, occultist practices, tarot, spiritualism, mm. champing, this idea of people, um, uh, churches hiring out halls so people can spend a night in a church so that they can wake up with a stained glass window and have a kind of a transcendent experience. We're, we're looking for those things. Julian Barnes wrote this book, um, Nothing to Be Scared Of, mm. and he starts the book by saying, you know, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. Yeah. And I do think that is where a lot of people are. Yes, you do get your hardcore atheists. Yes, you get, you know, but lots of normal people are are, asked, are running away from God and searching for God at the same time. And we've got something to say to that. Uh-huh. I, that's really, I think that's really, really helpful. I think it's interesting you mentioned, you know, Dawkins, as we're recording this, he's got his new book out. And I think a lot of people see that, get afraid and assume that's their colleague at work. But yeah, I mean, just like just last weekend, you know, as you were telling that story, I was a... Uh, Remind me, I was out uh, on a little fishing trip up, up on uh, one of the Scottish locks, and myself and a Christian friend we were there on the boat with the fishing guide. He figured out we were Christians by something we said, a fascinating conversation. He asked a few questions, and then we turned it on to him and said, So, what do you believe? And his initial reaction was, Oh, I don't believe anything. And then he paused. He went, Well, no, I say that. I, I don't think that's the end. I think there has to be something more yeah. than. And just this whole thing yeah. opened yeah. up. So, I think certainly one yeah. thing I think is really helpful yeah. for, for listeners to think about is, you know, our their colleagues, our friends, our yeah. neighbours. Yeah, there may be some yeah. hardcore atheists. And how how down would we how do we stir some of those conversations? Perhaps yeah. people who initially present I, as I think, I'm not interested. I think and no, so I I want I'd want to distinguish between uh, the way we talk about the kind of the uh, a biblical framework and that how the words that we're using communication. So for example, I don't think I mean you can bait people very easily and say, you know, oh I, I heard on the I heard on the, the Pep Talk podcast that, you know, you've got faith and my atheist friend will say, I don't have faith at all. Yes you do and you can just have a ping pong. Yeah. Don't talk I wouldn't talk about faith. I'd talk about commitments. People have commitments and actually people have ultimate commitments to things. If you keep on asking the question, what in a nice way, where where do you get that from? Why do you believe that? If you keep on asking that question, you'll realise that we all have these ultimate commitments that actually can't be proved. It's it's through those commitments that we then judge what is true, what is false. And I think everyone has 
Uh, I think everyone has these ultimate commitments that are seen in terms of what, not just what we believe, but what drives us, what gets us up in the morning, what are our hopes, what are our fears. Yeah. And the key thing, I think, Andy, on that is if, if, if Christians don't have deep non-Christian friendship, mm. friendships with non-Christians, mm. it, it'll all be very superficial. When you're talking about ultimate commitments, you have to know someone because it involves trust To for me, especially in the British context, for people to kind of spill the beans about what they're thinking about things and that's why i think in the context of relationship it's so important you're not going to get that on a you could get that on a bus journey but you're Mm. but in a deep conversation where people really can trust each other and share things that's where you get to those deep kind of commitments Mm. and you will know we will know won't we that sometimes people put intellectual objections to christianity and you realize that's not the real problem exactly there's a there's something underneath they've had a bad experience or they've got a deep issue that they've never wanted to express and those are the real reasons Mm. um so i think you know the the depth of, of relationship and again asking about commitments um, and uh, you know, and I, I think when you start doing that, you realise, yeah, my friend, there's no time for me talking about Jesus or Christianity or the Bible. But you know what? There are things that drive them. There are things that they get up for. They do think that they need deliverance from something. They do think there's a problem in the world, and this is how we can sort it. Mm. And that's what in, in Acts 17 is. That's what Paul is doing. He's walking around and looking at the objects of worship. What are the objects of worship that your friend is is engaged in? Yeah. Right, and and that's exactly what you do in your book, this subversive fulfilment approach which you unpack by talking about how we enter, explore, expose and then evangelise. Could you give us an example of what that might look like? Yeah, well, I mean, in the book, I mean, what I do... um, I I recognised over many years of teaching this material that the best material comes from students. So I've set an essay for over 10 years now where I get all the students to do a kind of a theological analysis on a cultural artefact, just a very normal thing. And over the years, I've had great, probably hundreds of great essays and some of the best ones are in the book. But it's saying, here are things that normal people do. Adult colouring books, which were very much (laughs) zombies, uh, bird watching. And then I suppose the one that I found that really started me off was this thing on japanese toilets <laughs> yeah. we think a toilet's a toilet how can you have any how can that have any evangelistic theological significance but you realize that in japan uh, the, the the idea of hygiene mm. technology shinto feng shui all of these things go into the production of a toilet and you think if you, in, a, in that example if you think that this has significance what about the other ordinary everyday things that 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 people do um you know what why is it that um, when a big, uh, well, something like, you know, the terrible tragedy of the Manchester bombing, why is it that it's important for people to come together in a stadium and sing somewhere over the rainbow and there's something more than just singing it in your bedroom? There's some, there's the idea that we feel yeah. connected and that idea of connection, again, we, we want that experience of transcendence and that's ripe for um, gospel in, engagement. Yeah. I think so, and I love the fact that you've, you know, several times in this in this interview, Dan, you've mentioned Acts 17. I mean, I, I love that as someone who does a, lot, does a lot of work with Muslims. I mean, one of the things I love what, about what Paul does there, as you described, he walks around and he, he sort of diagnoses what's going on, but then he doesn't stand up and rail against it. He finds this quite staggeringly brave, given his Jewish background, ability to go, hey, that, that unknown God, let's start from there. Yes, yeah. And that's what fascinates me. Yeah. How do we do that in our, in today's culture? Perhaps, you know, hold back on an initial response to come down instantly confronting yes. and go to bridge that to... Yeah. Well, we the first thing to. is, we've, I mean, this is very basic. We've got to listen. Mm. We've got to... Don't We don't just jump in. 
you know, I have a tendency to kind of blurt it out and then yeah. I have to draw back. But I think if we have the patience, and this is where a book, I mean, one very helpful resource, a little book, I'm sure you've talked about it before, by Greg Kukul called Tactics, mm-hmm. on how to you the art of asking a question that's going to elicit a response and you don't have to say much. And I think, and again, it just it's just basic love, isn't it? Not caricaturing or stereotyping where someone's going to come from. Listen to what they're saying and then respond to that. Now, that's hard because it's not a prepackaged, you know, we're all ready with our kind of, with with our tracks or our set apologetic ways of doing things. But this calls for listening because every human, every person is completely different. And yes, we need to generalise, don't we? There is, there, there are, it's important, for example, Andy, you all know that, you know, there are some basic facts that you might know about islam but every single muslim is different and especially in our That's western right. context you know there's a whole mix of, of of stuff going on so so i think listening is 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 absolutely crucial um you know and i say i don't know i'm, I'm not the first one to say it. i think yeah, and he's probably done it and people like glenn screw before when, when people say i don't believe in god i almost always come back and say i bet i don't believe the god you don't believe in because they're not rejecting yeah. the triune mm. Christian God of the Bible, and but hearing what they do think God is, and that's again where the Acts 17 thing is really important. Because when Paul stands up, it, uh, the way I describe it in the book, I think he's giving a run up and a run through. He's been preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. They say we don't understand a word you're saying. You're a seed picker, and then I think yeah. Paul has to stand back and say, right, from now on, given your way of viewing the world, when I say God, I mean this—a God who doesn't dwell in temples made by human hands, but a God who is near to us. And immediately by doing that, he's distinct distinguishing what other people would think God is from he's saying from now on when I say God I mean this Um, and that comparison of gods I think is very helpful and needed especially in in our context where people have all kinds of weird views which is a mixture of Christianity and what they've seen on the on, on on TV and people in clouds and you know reincarnate all these different things. So distinguishing what we believe, which is why I believe to do good evangelism, you need to be a theologian. You need to know who is the God that we worship, um, and that's that's important. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's really really helpful. I think also as well that, that loops back down as well to the to the fear thing that we started with. And I think when we can get the idea into into, into people's heads that actually just by asking those questions, you know, your colleague at work who's a, who's a Buddhist or a, or a Muslim, rather than be afraid that you don't know what they believe or you don't you don't know how to engage, yeah, yeah. just ask some questions. Yeah. So I gather you're a Muslim. You believe in God. What, what what's God yeah. like? What do you think? Yes. And yeah. usually what I find is interesting when you do that and you listen, it's not long before they turn yeah. around to you and say, so what do you think? Exactly. And then the door's open. And 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 if we if we, and again. Many of us, for example, wrestle a lot with something like in, in apologetics and evangelism with something like the problem of evil. And I'm not mm. saying you know the Christian has all the answers to that, but we we uh, we can say something. I I sometimes think we're on the defensive, but if we go on the offense, not being offensive, but go on the offensive, if we have the, a struggle with the problem of evil, how do our non-Christians understand evil? In fact, how do they understand there is a concept of evil, or how do they? What do they think? And I think trying to kind of, we we sometimes think that we're we go on the defensive when actually we need to go on the offensive and ask questions. And and you're right. Then you know, getting people to to talk. Most people have not thought at that kind of level. Right. Um, uh, one of the great passages in in Isaiah is this idea of the idolater, and it says, you know, no one stops to think. And I think most people uh, aren't aren't they're not doing a a uh, a non-christian version of pep talk people are just living their lives and so you know we we, we need to try and elicit responses out of them because they've probably never even thought about it before 
Dan Strange, thank you so much for joining us this morning. His book, Plugged In, is available from the Good Book Company. Get hold of it. I have one in my hands right now. It is excellent. Thank you so much for your time. And we Thanks. look forward to joining you again. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. It's been Thanks, a pleasure. Guys. Thanks for listening to Pep Talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, there's one way you can really help us out, and that's by going to your podcast provider, whether that's the iTunes Store or Google Play or Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcasts from, and uh, rating the show, and if your podcast provider gives you the opportunity, also leaving a, a brief review, because that helps other people find Pep Talk and get plugged into all the great resources that we have here for you. Thanks for listening to Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you next time.